to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Just this last Monday, Josh Green sent an email to us elders and said that uh, he was going to be able to take the family and go for a quick little vacation before the new school year starts, and so he was not going to be here this weekend, and he asked in that email if I could preach, and I was happy to do that. But one of the things that that did was that that shifted my priorities for the week. And so because I found out on Monday that I was going to preach this morning, I had to make some changes to my weekly routine in order to be ready to preach this morning. And so one of the things that happened was I did not watch as much Mets baseball this week as I typically do. Uh, although I still did watch last night and saw that they beat the Reds in extra innings. Um, for all you Reds fans, I still got to watch some. But what I had to do was I had to look at the time that I had available for me throughout the week, and I had to decide what I had to do and what was most important and what could kind of be pushed off to perhaps doing something next week or do that later. And so what happened was almost every night of the week after the kids, after we'd eaten, after the kids are in bed, Samantha and I would talk for a few minutes and then I would go to the basement and I would open the Bible and I would work on preparing for today. And that's just what happens when things in your life need to be prioritized over other things. Preparing to preach this morning was more important than watching baseball every night of the week. And you all are familiar with this as well, right? We do this all the time with things in our life. We sit down, we look at all the things that we have going on in life, and we figure out what is most important to us. And what we do is we prioritize those things. We set up the time that we have in order that the things that we think are most important get our time and attention, and that is what it means to prioritize something. Now, thinking a little bit more broadly, right? So we were talking kind of about individual priorities. So what about a larger organization? So I work for a, a rather large company, Humana. I know there are probably a few of us in here that work for Humana. And one of the things that Humana as a whole is trying to do is to prioritize well-being. They want their employees to have healthy lives. They want them to have a good work-life balance for the most part. Some of that depends on your boss. But I would say as a whole, the message that I continually hear from Humana, from upper leadership, is that they prioritize personal well-being. And what's important when you start talking about a large organization such as Humana or any other organization is that you've got to have people that are on the same page that have the same priorities. Otherwise, your organization is going to be a big mess. That reminded me of a movie that perhaps many of us have seen. Anybody seen the movie Mighty Ducks? It's a classic. Maybe all of our young people are thinking like, what in the world? But it's a great movie. I would recommend that you go watch it. But there's this scene where they get the team together, right? It's all about hockey. And so the coach, Gordon Bombay, has all of the players on the, t on the ice and he ties them up. And he says, all right, you all need to learn to skate as a team. And so he says, when I blow the whistle, you go. And so he blows the whistle and somebody in the middle is like, all right, everybody skate left. And somebody's like, who made you boss? Everybody skate right. And of course, everybody starts to skate and then they all pff, fall down. 
And then, of course, it cuts away, and then you get to the next scene where they're starting to figure it out. They're starting to put it all together, and they're realizing the importance of everybody being on the same page. And that's when they start to move together as a team. And as we think about church, and as we have talked over the last few weeks about the health of a church, I think one of the things we need to have a conversation about is what do we as a church prioritize? And here's the reason why I think it's so important. It would be really easy if just the four of us elders had to be on the same page about something because that's only four people. It probably is not gonna be too hard to get everybody relatively on the same page. But if you've been to a members meeting here at our church, which we've, I believe we've got one coming up this Wednesday, is that right, Womble? Okay. If you haven't been to one, I encourage you to be here this Wednesday because we have a members meeting. And one of the things that you'll see about a members meeting is that no matter what anybody brings up in the members meeting, so let's just say the finance committee brings up the proposal uh, to take some money out of the general fund and use it for the playground. Well, the entire church or all the members that are at the meeting get a vote. We get to decide if yes, that's a good idea or no, that's a bad idea. And so all of the members of the church have a say in that. And if there's a bunch of people that think that's a bad idea, then guess what? That's gonna get voted down. And it doesn't matter what the four of us elders think should be done, the church has the final say. So for a church like ours, where we are congregationally led, or we are congregational, we, it's important that all of us as members be on the same page and have the same priorities. And because of that, I wanted to talk about priorities this morning. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter six. We're gonna read the first 15 verses. Here's what it says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, uh, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, and him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. 
lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. What you find here in Deuteronomy is that the Israelite people are about to go into the promised land. You maybe noticed that there was a mention of the promised land. So they're not in the promised land yet, but just to give you a brief history, the Israelites, starting with Abraham, uh, Abraham has a child, his name is Isaac, and God had promised Abraham that through your offspring, they're gonna be as many as the stars of the sky and as much as the sand of the sea. And in you, I'm gonna bless all the nations of the earth. And so what we see in Genesis is the, the start to fulfillment of this promise. God provides offspring for Abraham. Abraham's wife had previously been barren, not able to have children. And then you get Isaac, his son, who's born through miraculous circumstances. And then Isaac takes a wife. And his wife, Rebekah, is barren and not able to have children. And God miraculously provides again with Esau and Jacob. And then the promise goes through Jacob. And then you get all the way to the end of the book and you've got Jacob's son, Joseph, who now becomes a, a powerful ruler in Egypt. And because of a famine, they're there. He moves the rest of his family to Egypt. And then what happens is we get into the book of Exodus and the Israelites start to explode in population. God is just blessing them and they're having babies on babies on babies, kind of like what's happening here. And then they get enslaved by the Egyptians. And so a Pharaoh arises to power who does not know Jacob or do, he did not know, sorry, Joseph, and so he says, let's enslave these Hebrews and let's make them our slaves and we can get a, a lot of profit from making them work for free. And so they're enslaved for 400 years and then we've got the birth of a man named Moses and God raises up Moses to be a deliverer for his people. And God says, Moses, I'm gonna use you to deliver my people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And Moses has excuses on excuses for why he shouldn't do it, but finally he does it and God leads the people out. And we've read that about uh, the Exodus. And, and so Moses continues to be the leader of God's people. He leads them through the wilderness. He instructs them on how to build the tabernacle as God had told him. And so you get all of this. And now we get to the book of Deuteronomy and they are about to go into the promised land. And God had already given them the 10 commandments. God had already provided for them in miraculous ways through uh, the manna that they ate every morning, through water from the rock, all of these different ways in which God has provided for them. And now as they are about to go into the promised land, God has some more words for them. Now, we read in Deuteronomy 4 uh, that God is the only God. Okay, that was our, our, uh, our reading before the, the scripture or before the sermon. And then if you look at Deuteronomy chapter five, what we see is the 10 commandments. Now this is not where God initially gave the 10 commandments. God initially gave them in Exodus chapter 20. But this is a retelling of the 10 commandments. Moses has got the people and he's saying, hey, look, this is what God has commanded of us. And he re-gives the 10 commandments. And then we come to chapter six. And for all of us, you know, we've gotta be thinking, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there are a lot of laws outside of just the 10 commandments, if you look at the law as a whole, people have, have estimated there's different ways of counting whether some are duplicate or not, but approximately 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's a lot. But God knows that that's gonna be hard to remember all of those. And so before they go in, God says, here's the greatest commandment, right? He's speaking through Moses. Moses is talking to the people. He's hearing from God, obviously, but now we get the greatest commandment. 
So think about what all God's people have been through. They were slaves in a land that they did not own. They were poorly treated. God rescues them in a miraculous way through the 10 plagues and delivers them out of Egypt. And then they're up against the Red Sea and they, they look back and all they can see is the Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. And God says, this is not a problem for me. Put up your hands, I'm gonna, I'm gonna part the sea and you're gonna walk through on dry ground. God has done all of that for the people. And now as they enter the promised land, God's command for them, the one thing that he says you cannot forget, you must do this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Love the Lord your God. Now that's interesting to think that that's the one thing that God says you've got to remember this. God could have said anything. God could have said, and you know, as much as you grow in the fields, I want half. Or as much as you know, goats are born to you and you've got all this um, wonderful animals and all of that, I want half of everything. God could have said all of that, but he didn't. What God said is what I want you to do is to love me. It's to love me. Which leads us to our first point this morning. Our highest priority is to love God. This is what God told the Israelites was the most important thing for them as they go into the new land, as they go into the promised land. And what I wanna say for all of us here at First Baptist Church is that our number one priority needs to be loving God. Now you could walk into a lot of different churches this morning. Perhaps you've been to a lot of different churches. And once you spend some time at churches, you will see that they prioritize different things. Different churches have different priorities. Some churches, their number one priority is the worship, the music. They wanna make sure that they've got the best of the best up there. They wanna make sure that not only are they the best like musically, but they look good, right? They're easy to look at, appealing to the eyes. They're gonna make sure that their stage in general is clean and there's not wires running everywhere. I think you can see that's not one of our priorities. Sorry, not a dig on Andrew. It's just, we love it. And you will see that at some churches, their priority is the preacher. And perhaps the church as a whole, the culture is built around that one individual, whether they're charismatic or whether they're a good speaker or, or whatever it is, but that is the whole priority and they build everything around that one thing. And then if anything happens to that one thing, it can be catastrophic. But what God says to the Israelites and what I wanna say to you is that our number one priority should not be any of those things. Our number one priority should be loving God. This passage is commonly referred to as the Shema. Perhaps you've heard that, that word before. And that word, all it is, is a transliteration of the Hebrew word. So it's an English uh, pronunciation of the Hebrew word. And it's the first word of, of uh, verse four. Hear, O Israel. Okay, so the Shema is literally to hear. 
So this passage is, is very common, especially among Orthodox Jews even today. Perhaps they recite it multiple times a day, but this definitely would have been the case for uh, the Hebrews as they received this, but also coming generations of Hebrews. They would have been told and taught to repeat this passage over and over and over again all throughout their life because it is so important. And here's what he says. Look, at, look back at, at verse four again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. So there's two aspects to this uh, greatest commandment that he gives here. The first is that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, if you've got different translations, perhaps yours is worded a little differently. There are different ways that this could be stated. It could be stated, the Lord our God is one Lord. It could be stated, the Lord our God is the only Lord. What I think this is a reference to is the first commandment. If you look back at chapter five, look at verse six. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then here's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. I believe that this is a reference to the fact that One, there are no other gods. There are no other real gods that you could go after to begin with. But two, he is to be their only God. Even if there were other gods that they could go after, the command is that they should not go after any other gods. God himself, the one who rescued them from Egypt, from slavery, he is the one to be in that position of God. They are to put no one else in that place. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall have no other gods before him. Don't ever forget who he is. Don't ever forget what he has done. Don't ever put anything else in his place. And then we get to verse five. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Now, I don't wanna spend a ton of time digging into what is heart and what is soul, what is might. We're gonna talk about that for just a moment. But I think the, the point of listing those things is so that we would see the goal of loving God is to love him with all of who we are. We can't compartmentalize like this is the church part of Jake and I need to love God with all the churchy aspects of Jake, but all the rest can just kind of be what it is. That's not how God talks. That's not what God wants. He says, love the Lord your God with all all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Now, there's a popular saying that I know you all have heard, and that is, follow your heart. We've all heard that. There's another popular saying, specifically when it comes to working or trying to find a job or find a career, and that is, do what you love. Have we heard those before? More than likely. When you really think about it, those two things mean the same thing. Do what you love and follow your heart. Now, for a non-native English speaker, they would probably think, what are you talking, follow your heart? What are you talking about? It's an organ in your chest. It doesn't go anywhere. You can't follow it. It follows you. But we all understand that what we mean when we say follow your heart is we mean do what you love. Because for us, in our culture, the heart has somehow become synonymous with 
love or that emotion of loving someone or that feeling of loving someone. That's why if you go to the, uh, get a card at, uh, what's that holiday in February? Valentine's Day, thank you. There's gonna be hearts on every single card in that section because somehow we've associated hearts with love, the ooey gooey part. That is not how Hebrews understood the heart. They did not associate the heart with like that ooey gooey feeling of love. The organ that they did associate with that feeling or emotion of love, strangely enough, is the kidneys. So if you look at Psalm 16 in verse seven, you will see uh, the psalmist says, in the night also my reins instruct me. All right, you'll see that in the, uh, in the King James Version. You're not gonna see that in the modern translations. Modern translations have changed that to heart because they know that that's what we associate love with but they associated it with the reins or kidneys or bowels, something in that area. So when, when the Bible says here that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, it's not just talking about that ooey gooey lovey feeling that we feel, but it's more so referring to um, our, the inner man or the mind or the will. For, the, uh, for the, uh, the Hebrews, they thought that the heart was more so referring to the inner man the person that you are, your thoughts, your mind, your intellect. That's more so what they thought. And so for us to love the Lord with all of our heart, for them would mean to love the Lord with all of our mind. This is why when you read this command in the New Testament, which I know you all are thinking this, wait, the New Testament says, love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why is mind not mentioned here? Well, it's because it's implied with this word heart. So we are to love the Lord with our minds, with our intellect, with our thoughts. So what is our thought life like? Do we submit our thoughts and our feelings that, that we process in our mind to the Lord? Do we let the Lord, or do, do we love the Lord with those aspects of our life? Because I know a lot of people try to just love the Lord with their outward actions. The way other people see us, that's how I'm going to love the Lord. As long as everybody else thinks that I'm all in and that I love the Lord, I'm good with that. But we've got to be reminded that the Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees the inner man. The Lord knows what our thoughts are. So we need to love the Lord with, with all of our, our mind, all of our will. What about our soul? For the Egyptians, they would have thought of this as being the uh, the desires that we have or the appetites or the emotions or the passions that we feel. Do we love the Lord with our desires? Do we love the Lord with our passions? Do we love the Lord with our appetites? What are the things that we hunger for? What are the things that we strive for? What are the things that motivate us? Is it a love for the Lord or is it other things that the Lord has, has given, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Then we get to the last one, love the Lord with all of your might. And this is exactly what you think it is, loving the Lord with our strength, with our ability to do things. So think about all of the, the physical activities that you do. Do you do them in a way that shows that you love the Lord? Do you use your physical ability and your strength as a way to love the Lord? When I think about this, using our physical abilities to love the Lord, I think about all the many ways that there are to serve. 
thinking specifically about Dare to Care, our food pantry. There is an abundance of ways to serve at Dare to Care. And I'm sure Tish would give an amen if we were amen type people. But there are a lot of opportunities to serve in places like Dare to Care. And I think loving the Lord with all of our might, or as the New Testament refers to it, all of our strength, would include the things that we do. When you work your job, do you do it in a way that you love the Lord? When you serve, perhaps there are, there are tons of people in the nursery serving right now. They are changing diapers and holding babies and, and getting on the floor and playing. Are they using their physical strength as a way to love the Lord? Because what we need to see is that what God is concerned with is the totality of us, not just compartments of who we are. God is not only interested in our mind in the way that we think and that we love him in that way. God is interested in every aspect of who we are, that we are to love him in all of these ways. Now, this leads me to my second point, which is kind of long, and I'll repeat it for you. If loving God is our highest priority, then we will teach the coming generations to love God as their highest priority. If loving God is our highest priority, then we will teach the coming generations to love God as their highest priority. Now, this comes natural to us in a lot of things. So I already mentioned that I didn't get to watch as much Mets baseball this last week as I typically do. And my wife's probably rolling her eyes because I watch a lot. I'm a big, big, big baseball fan, big Mets fan. And perhaps some of you, if you've seen my children here on a Wednesday night, you have seen them wearing Mets shirts. And this is really not something that I've had to like intentionally teach them, like, listen, you're gonna be a Mets fan, whether you like it or not. The way it works is that they see dad wearing a Mets shirt and they see dad watching the Mets game and they wanna do that too. There are times where I'll just grab the remote and Graham says, ooh, we watching the Mets? Because he knows it gets put on TV that often. And so we are like that in, in lots of different ways. If any of us have ever been to a, a new restaurant and we've had a really good experience, how many of us just go home and don't tell a soul about it? No, we tell somebody hey, dude, did you know about this new restaurant over here? Man, it is fire. It is so good. You got to try this, this meal or whatever. We are so naturally wanting to pass on what we know about the things that we love to other people, whether that be our own children or whether that be others. But look at what he says here in verse six. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. In verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Not only does God say that we need to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might, but God also says you are to teach these things diligently to your children. Now, I think at least my first thought when I read that is, okay, now Moses is addressing the parents in the room. 
but he's not. Nowhere here in this passage does Moses say, all right, now everybody can tune out unless you're a parent with children at home. For you, you need to teach these things diligently to your children. See, I think there's a natural tendency for all of us that when we read in the Bible something that says, teach these things to your children, if we don't have children, we just automatically zone out. But let me ask you, at the end of this hallway back there, we've got a ton of children. And I know that most of them are not your children. But does that mean that you have no responsibility to teach those children? You see, the world is set up in such a way that we have people of all different ages that are alive at any one moment in history. And what happens is the younger people are always learning things from the older people. This is why it's so good that as we look at the congregation of our church, we want people of all generations. We want people who are old and who have been through a lot of life. We want people who are a little bit younger and who have been through perhaps the parenting the teenage years. I'm so thankful for Matt and Liz because I'm, I'm leaning on them to look at how to parent kids that are teenagers and the greens are ahead of us and I'm, I'm gonna be looking at them to see how they parent teenagers because we're gonna be right behind them. This is how life works throughout everything. We learn from the future or from the, the generations before us and God is saying the same thing should be true of my people but not just about all the different areas of life but about God in particular. We are to be people who pass on the knowledge of loving God. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to walk with God in this stage of life? Or what does it mean to walk with God in this stage of life? Or what does it look like to love God through tragedy? Or what does it look like to you fill in the blank? This is a command addressed to all of us, not just to those who are raising children currently. So for all of us here at this, at this church, First Baptist Fairdale, are we doing things to teach the next generation? I think about, Matt just told us about kids camp. And I'm, so of all the leaders that went, uh, Matt has kids in the E-Kids. Uh, ben and Jen have kids in the E-Kids and in youth. Um, Val has kids in the E-Kids and in youth. But then you've got Brad, somewhere by there. Brad's kids are grown. But you know what? Brad is still spending his time going to kids camp and teaching kids to love the Lord. You see, we don't need to have kids in our house to obey this command. We don't need to be those who are the direct caretakers of, of young people to be able to obey this command. And so what I want all of us to understand is that let's not read this and think, well, I don't have kids I'm, or I'm past that age. It doesn't apply to me. God is calling all of us, all of Israel and all of his church to be those who love the Lord, but not just love the Lord and you're okay with loving the Lord, but loving the Lord and you want other people to love the Lord as well. You are gonna teach these things diligently to the young people. But let me also clarify that it absolutely does apply to parents as well. And I think about this a lot. When I think about raising children, I think about the, the children that Samantha and I have. Am I being diligent to teach them to love the Lord? It's a sobering question to ask yourself. Am I doing everything I can 
to teach my children to love the Lord. And notice, notice the way the Bible says it's to be done. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is to be a lifestyle of teaching, right? It's not that we just need to like set aside an hour a week that we're all gonna sit down at the kitchen table, we're gonna open the Bible, I'm gonna, I got questions, I got quizzes, I got tests. It's not that. It's, hey, as you're walking along, as you see things in life, talk about God. Talk about how that applies to spirituality. Talk about what it means to love God in that situation or that circumstance. As you walk by the way and as you lie down and as you rise up and as you sit, in all the different aspects of life, we are to be those who are just naturally teaching about God. As we sit down at the dinner table, hopefully you have thought about God at some point throughout the day that you can just naturally talk to others about God. Share with others about what you've read in the Bible. Perhaps as you're putting children to bed, as you're lying down, you talk about things that have happened that day and you help them see how God is, is tantamount in all of that, how he's important, he's, he's essential. See, we don't want to think about this as the only time for teaching others is in the Sunday school hour or, or during the service or perhaps Sunday evening. We want to think about this as as we walk through life in all different aspects of it, we teach younger people how to love the Lord. He also says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. One of the essential elements of teaching our children to love the Lord is scripture. Now we can talk about God all day long, but if what we say about God does not agree with what the scripture teaches, we're gonna have some messed up young people. We are to bind God's word. Now remember, he just said in verse six, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Reminds me of Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. All right, these words are to be on your heart. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, put them as frontlets between your eyes. Okay, we're not gonna go deep into what a frontlet is, but it's this little thing. It's like a leather pouch that Israelites would wear and they would put little pieces of scripture that were written inside of it and they would literally wear it on their forehead as a continual reminder of the commandments that God has given. Write them on your doorposts, of your, uh, the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Put them in places where you're gonna see the word of God and you're gonna think about God as you see it. God wants us in our highest priority to be loving him. And as part of that, God desires that as our highest priority is loving God, what's naturally gonna flow from that is to teach the next generation. But lastly, I want you to see that there's a warning. And my last point this morning is that we need to beware not to love the gifts of God more than the God who gives gifts. Look at verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build 
and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I believe it was John Calvin who said that our hearts are like little idol factories. Our hearts are so good at making idols out of things. And God's warning to the people of Israel is that when you go into the promised land, there's gonna be a lot of good things there. There's gonna be houses that you didn't labor to build. There's gonna be olive trees and vineyards that you did not labor to plant. Man, when you get to sit down around your table and you get to eat and drink and enjoy the wonderful promise and the wonderful land that God has given you, be careful lest you forget the Lord. What is God's commandment for his people? To love the Lord your God. What is one of the things that we are so good at? Forgetting. We are forgetful people. And God knows that. So God warns us. So for us as a church, our priority needs to not be on the music or, or the person preaching or, or any of that. Our priority needs to be on loving the Lord. But the warning is, as we seek to do that, there's a very real possibility that we get caught up loving the gifts that God gives rather than the giver of the gifts. When I was first, when Samantha and I were moving into our house right here in Holly Hills about two years ago, I have an Indian friend that I work with and he uh, came and was able to help me move some boxes into my house. And it was towards the end of moving and we had a few things left in storage. uh, And so most of what we were bringing in didn't need to really be unpacked at the moment. We were just putting it in the basement. And I will never forget, we walk into the house and we bring a bunch of boxes downstairs. And when when we were done, he said to me something along the lines, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, you know, back in India with a house of this size, we would have eight families living in it. We'd have four families that would live on the top and four families that would live on the bottom. That's about how much space you'd have in India. And we take for granted that, you know, our 1,600 square feet or however much we have is small in American standards, to be honest. It's good for us to realize that a lot of the things that we have are good gifts that are given by God. But it's also important that we don't prioritize loving the gifts or being thankful for the gifts above loving the giver of the gifts. And here's why. Verse 12, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but God is a jealous God. He wants our worship. As a matter of fact, he commands it. 
And he warns that those who don't worship him, his anger can be kindled and he can destroy you from the face of the earth. It is a very dangerous thing for a church to misplace their priorities. God has spoken and God has said that our number one priority should be loving him above all else. And church, I assure you that for all the leadership at our church, that is what we strive for. That is our goal. That all of us as leaders would be those who are loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. Every aspect of our being, we are seeking to submit to Christ. And it is our goal to lead you to do the same. Church, more than we want you to be these awesome church folk that are talented, that give a lot of money and that do all of these other things. More than any of that, we want you to love the Lord with all of your being. We want you to be those who love the Lord so much that you can't help but talk about him to the next generation. Because we've got to face the reality that there will be a day when not a single person in this building is alive any longer. Now that's a long time from now. But once that happens, is this church still gonna be here? Is there still gonna be somebody preaching past noon? Depends. How much do we love the Lord? And are we passing that on to the next generation? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning, for the passage here from Deuteronomy where God has instructed his people what they are to do, how they are to live, what they are to love. God, help us to be those who are not forgetful of what you have done for us, how you have saved us, how you've rescued us from the domain of sin. God, help us to keep our focus on loving you with all of our being. God, help that to be the priority of our church, First Baptist Fairdale. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.